Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here this morning, and uh, I'm excited that uh, it's nice and warm. Thank you, Ryan, for starting that fire this morning when we got here. Man, I'm telling you what, even through my hat, my bald head was cold, so thank you. That was great. Well, we're going to start out this morning with uh, uh, some uh, words of encouragement. Got lots of great uh, notes of encouragement. If there's another one out there, if you want to bring it up or... uh, Ask our little helper to bring it up, Emma. That would be great. So the first one uh, goes to the Pleasant Hill Church. It says, thank you for being so encouraging and accepting, friendly, and inclusive. Well, thank you very much, whoever that is. That's awesome. That's how we ought to be. I think Jesus was that way. Mrs. Compton, for her unconditional support and generosity. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, she's a sweet, she's not even here. (laughs) Even when she's not here, she's sweet. So there you go. Uh, Ryan Compton's not here. Oh, there you are, Ryan. Okay, Ryan Compton, thank you for helping in Bible class and for building the fire. You have uh, so many gifts and use them to bless Christ's body. Amen to that one. There you go for Ryan. Melissa Parks. Melissa Parks. Who wrote this one? It's not Jeff because there's there's some really sweet things on here. (laughs) Sorry, Jeff. Uh, There should be one in here for you, Jeff, too, I think. Uh, If there's not, I'll write one for next week. Uh, Melissa Parks, you are an amazing woman and a wonderful sister in Christ. So thankful for all you do for so many many individuals in our congregation. Uh, You, my dear sister, are a woman of great virtue. There you go. Awesome. All right, Lars and Angie. You have been you have been such a sweet and wonderful blessing in such a short time. I appreciate your gift of encouragement by which you have blessed so many. There we go. And uh, so thankful for so thankful for Bill Compton. Such an amazing it almost says ham here, but man, I think, I hope. What? Well, okay, so such an amazing man and leader as we look at the power of perseverance, how, how blessed we are to, to have Bill setting the example of the perseverant man. Love you, brother. Keep fighting the good fight. Amen. I'll deliver that one. All right. Mrs. McKinney. Mo, are you, are you watching? Melinda, are you on here? Say, do a little harder something on there. Come on, I see your face. So anyway, Melinda, it is so wonderful to see your smiling face. This was last week. I blew it. I forgot to give it to her, didn't I? Sorry, Emma. All right, you are a great encouragement. So we're going to keep this, and we're going to give it to you when I see you this Tuesday. So there we go. Thank you very much. That was great. Do we have any others? Any birthdays this week? Any birthdays this week? No birthdays this week. Finnemans, there must be a birthday coming up sometime soon. I, I need to know that, so just give me the, the word when it's time. All right, a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, tomorrow night, College Age Group uh, is going to be meeting out here at the building. My lovely bride is going to be cooking dinner and having it prepared and ready to go. If you could meet out here at 6 tomorrow evening for dinner, and then we're going to get the the assembly hall set up with all the tables and everything ready for uh, Oregon Family Camp. And so uh, that will be uh, you know, a great time of fellowship and working together. Uh, also, too, Wednesday evening, Mike Harbor is flying into town on Tuesday, and I asked him to speak or preach uh, Wednesday evening's lesson. So we've been working on uh, uh, developing a Christian worldview. Uh, and so I'm going to give you a, a week off from that, and I'm going to cut Mike Harbor loose on you. He's starting the family camp week, and he's going to finish it on Sunday night, 
And so uh, Wednesday night will be hosted at the Compton Homestead. So let us know you're coming and we'll make sure that we, we have a seat for you. Uh, also too, uh, if there are any young men and young women who want to help uh, do some uh, loading of firewood and delivering of firewood, and we're selling the firewood to help the orphans in Belarus. And so if you have time on, on Saturday, the 13th of March, uh, please contact me because the way I, I need to set it up is so that nobody works all day long. I have these little shifts of about two or three hours. And so we, we need some people to be cutting with chainsaws and splitting with power splitters and then loading and then delivering. And so I want to break that up a little bit. Uh, the folks that know how to run the saw, we are, I think we already got uh, two of those. And then uh, the splitter is pretty easy, but you can get hurt. So um, anyway, but uh, for the loading and delivering and unloading and stacking, uh, I mean, I, I can even do that. So anyway, and I don't even break anything, Eric, when I unload wood. It's amazing. So, okay. So if you're interested, uh, Saturday the 13th, let me know, and then we can put you in uh, a place and schedule you, and that would be great. Any other announcements? Yeah, for one last week this week, we won't be having ladies' studies since a lot of us are getting ready to camp. Yep. And there is a, um, a couple clipboards going around related to uh, family camp. Uh, would you share the one about the food for the contingent of eight that are yeah, staying in a, a bed and breakfast? That'd be great. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. And then I think there's a, a, a clipboard going around in regards to people's responsibilities and duties during Oregon Family Camp. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to need uh, several people to work on the, the crew for making sure everything's wiped down and sterilized and clean and whatnot. So please uh, consider uh, being on that crew. So uh, there's one person on there right now. Heidi, are you on the only person that's, that's cleaning everything or... Okay, so guess what? Heidi needs help. I, well, that sounded bad. Let's all work with Heidi to do whatever. So anyway, uh, that being said, if you could sign up for that, that would be great. All right, anything else that we need to announce? Family camp starts on Friday evening, and uh, I sent the schedule out uh, this morning during the email, and I'm going to email everybody else again. Uh, with the schedule, but uh, Friday evening at seven o'clock is when we we begin singing. And so, if you could make it, that would be fantastic. Uh, I'll just start the lead with a small lesson on you know why we decided to do perseverance this year, and then I'm going to cut Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Hoffman. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. I hope you're not watching. Wow. Okay, that's not funny. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that one from Jerry for sure. Jerry Hoffman, great CEO of Safeway Retired, great man of God. Wow, okay. <laughs> Time to get moving quickly. So 7 o'clock on, on Wednesday evening. Friday. Friday evening, wow. See, I'm shook. The preacher's shook. <laughs> the whole world's going to see this forever. It's terrible. Okay. So let's grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 14. Book of Revelation in chapter 14 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. One of the, the lead scriptures, the anchor scriptures, as you well know, uh, my prayer is that we'd have these memorized and thought about and looked at and uh, in context and then use these as tools to inspire us to be perseverant. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith, the faith of Jesus is how it should be uh, in translation, the faith of Jesus. So they're keeping the faith of Jesus. And also too, I want to go back to a familiar passage in the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. We're very familiar with that, uh, but I want to make just a, a quick statement after we're done reading it and then introduce the, the lesson this morning. Uh, 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. And this is what the sermon is built on. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, think about this, uh, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning as we look at the embodiment of the faith of Christ in Christ himself when he lived on this earth. Help us to see, dear Heavenly Father, that here was a man that, that powerfully proved that faith is essential to be perseverant and to overcome and to be victorious. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning and help us to, to really kind of change our mindset on as we listen, but really try to put ourselves into these uh, like overwhelming life circumstances that we find our, our Christ and our King is in as a human being. And know that he is the prototokos, the prototype, the first, uh, the beginning of many. And we're to follow in his footsteps. I pray that you would help us to see that, Father, in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. And so this morning I wrote up a little note uh, on my email. And I'm so thankful for Brad McKinney because he basically takes that email and, and he pulls that introduction about what we're going to be learning and he puts it into the, the, um, um, the podcasts that are on the internet that are on our Facebook page. So I really appreciate that. I'd like to read that, what I wrote this morning. I said, uh, this morning we'll finish the mini-series on uh, the possessing the faith of Christ by actually looking at Christ persevering by faith as we are called to persevere by faith. You see, the faith of Christ will empower us to overcome and be victorious during challenges and, and persecutions that we may face in the future. And you know, those challenges and persecutions are being experienced by the church worldwide right now. Those who have a belief in Jesus Christ are having governments begin to come down on them. I received, and some of you know, Olga Goncharenko, uh, the church that she attends in, in Minsk. Uh, I think it was this, this last Wednesday that the government came in and they basically ran everybody out. They locked the doors. They've taken the church building. They're going to bulldoze it and they're going to put a school there. No money. We're talking imminent no domain, but there's no money to pay back what they did. That used to be an old cow barn and they actually gutted it. They sided it. They, they built a beautiful uh, a church building. And uh, the government just took it, just took it, walked in and took it. And uh, so they're no longer allowed in there. So they're not sure what they're going to do now. And so we need to recognize and understand that we have people who have a faith in Jesus Christ uh, all over the world who are suffering. And we know that Steve Doty, who's going to be speaking on Saturday night, has been to many countries where uh, it is a capital crime to be a Christian. So we need to recognize and understand Jesus was able to do it because he had faith, and, but he was a human being. A lot of people say, well, Jesus was the son of God, therefore he could power through anything. Was walking right up to the cross, spitting in the centurion's eye, jumping on that cross, going through it, no problem. That's not how it was at all. The scripture teaches that he laid aside his privileges. He did, not, he did not make himself equal with God, but rather laid aside, put on, as it says, the, the form of sinful flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh in the book of Romans in chapter 12. And then it goes on and says this in Hebrews and chapter two. He had to be made like his brethren in all things 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the world. That's a direct quote. He had to be made like us in all ways, and he was tempted in every way but without sin. He was a human being. In fact, if you really want to listen to the proclamation by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see in the first gospel sermon, Peter says, this man, speaking of Jesus, this man, he says twice. God powerfully worked through this man. God can powerfully work through this group of men and women, just like he did through Jesus Christ. But we must possess the faith of Christ. So let's look at Christ today. Let's take this scripture this morning in Hebrews chapter 12 and let's really fix our eyes on Jesus and put ourselves in the life situation that he was in. If you go back and look at the book of Psalms, so oftentimes those Psalms are actually Jesus speaking about his life and how crushing it was so often in his life, even as a young man. Even as a young man, it says, that he was treated very poorly. And so it's important for us to recognize that Jesus in a human body was able to overcome by faith and he secured our salvation because of his perseverance. How are we going to be those, as we said this morning, how are we to be those who have been given the ministry of reconciliation? Meaning, We're called to draw people unto Christ that they might be reconciled through his sacrifice. If we're not willing to make sacrifices and potentially be wrongly punished and mistreated for standing up, living the life, and sharing the gospel message. So my prayer this morning is is that we would actually see that. The embodiment of the faith of Christ. Let's take a good look at this. Turn with me to your first proposition, proposition number one in your lesson plan, the absolute conviction of Christ, what he was absolutely convinced of. He was convinced of his identity, who he was. And there was nothing that could shake him from his belief in who he was, that he was the servant of the Most High God, that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And like you and I, as we're about to see, he grew up after having been in Mary's womb for nine months. He grew up and he had to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, just like you and me. And he had to grow up physically, just like you and me. He was made like us in all ways. We need to see that this morning. So let's take a look here. Conviction. What does that word conviction actually mean? And I'm, I'm going to pull from the lesson we did here a few weeks ago. What does that word conviction mean? It means to be persuaded and absolutely convinced of what is true. Jesus was absolutely convinced that he had come from God. And yet when he was conceived in Mary's womb, having been overshadowed uh, by the Holy Spirit, he was like us. He had no mental capacity when he was just a little two-celled zygote in Mary's womb. And he grew for nine months in Mary's womb. And when he came forth, he didn't come out walking, preaching, and teaching. He came forth like you and I. Probably had to get his little bottom smacked to get him breathing. And so we need to recognize and understand human being, God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. Take a a look with me in the book of Luke in chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And this is, of course, uh, what was being made reference of by Scott. You know, it's a very powerful passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 2, beginning there in verse uh, 41. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. And you know what? I should pick it up in verse 39 because I'm going to kind of steal what you started. So, you know, when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple so that he could be dedicated as the firstborn. That was Jewish tradition. And we know that there were two people there that were proclaiming that he is the Christ. And of course, Mary and Joseph heard that. And of course, they heard the angels and and the the wise men or the the magi came when he was born just a week before. And and they told him, 
And so we need to recognize that this is amazing, but it teaches us something about the humanity of Jesus. Look at verse uh, uh, 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord on the eighth day of Jesus' life, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Had to grow in wisdom. God is perfectly wise. He knows all things. And so we need to recognize that Jesus was a man like you and I. He had to grow in knowledge and wisdom. Look at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he came, uh, when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after they spent the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him uh, among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Could that be an understatement or what? If you've ever lost a kid and go, where are they? Well, I don't know if you've ever had a caravan. We had a caravan. I don't think we ever lost a kid though, did we? You know, is Ryan back in the back of the caravan? I'll tell you what, that's terrifying. And notice what Jesus says in verse 49. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came, and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Look at the angels proclaimed who this child was. The, the Magi as well. Obviously, Simeon and Anna proclaimed who this child was. And they heard that. You know, Gabriel came to Mary and said, by the way, that which is conceived in you is of the Most High God. You see, so they knew who he was. And they're not understanding when he says, I have to be about my father's business. Notice Jesus knew who he was at 12 years old. Now, here's the question. Do you know who you are as a Christian? Do you know who dwells within you as a Christian? Does the fullness of God dwell in you? John chapter 14 and verse 23 says yes. That's one of many. The fullness of God dwells in you. The Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. You know why we don't live like Jesus? is because we are not absolutely convicted of who we are as Christians. We're not absolutely convicted and convinced that we have the power that was granted to Jesus through the Holy Spirit that dwelled with him all of his life. Even from the moment of conception, the Spirit of God was in that little baby of two cells. And so when he came from the womb, yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he, he had to grow in his faith and knowledge and understanding like you and I. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so Jesus, at 12 years old, knew who he was. He was the son of God. And he knew he had a purpose as well. Take a look at the next passage of scripture. John in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. He understood he had a purpose. He had a mission. And there's many, many passages. I just picked this one. But Jesus is so convinced that he is the son of God, the, the Messiah, the, the Christ, that he lived his life deliberately every moment because he had the conviction. He was convinced of who he was and what his purpose was, his life mission. Well, take a look. John chapter 2, beginning in there in verse 18. In verse 18, the Jews then said to him, what sign do you give us 
as your authority for doing these things. We'll get back to what he was doing there in just a minute. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 40 years to build this temple and, and you're gonna raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Notice the Old Testament spoke eloquently in many places that the Christ would be raised from the dead, the firstborn from among the dead, the first to be raised from the dead. Notice he's the first, meaning there's many more who are going to follow. That's us. And so it's important to recognize that Jesus, in at the beginning of his earthly ministry, this is early on in his ministry, he says, you know what? I got to go to the cross. I'm going to get a little wood cancer and it's going to kill me in just a few hours. But I'm doing that for you. But I will be raised up on the third day. Now, how many times have we read in the scripture where Jesus took his disciples aside and told them plainly right before the event? It's like a mother grabbing her child's face and going, listen to me. Did your folks ever do that? Your mom ever do that to you? I see some nods. Yes, mine too. So he said, listen to me. I am going to be given into the hands of godless men and they're going to, to, to scourge me and beat me and crucify me. But on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. Now, you know, he said that multiple times right before it happened. Here it is early in his ministry, and he's saying, guess what? This is where I'm going, and this is what's going to go on. He knew that was coming, so he could go through three years of all-out abuse after he started his ministry. Here's the question. When that kind of abuse comes our way, are we going to have the faith of Christ, knowing who we are as Christians, Christ ones, the word Christ means anointed one. Christians are anointed ones, anointed with the Holy Spirit. Spirit of Christ, the same spirit that he had. Are we going to walk by the faith of Christ so that we know who we are, we know what our purpose is, is to glorify God in our bodies, as it says over there, and so that we can actually manifest the character of Christ so when we begin to speak, people will listen because we, they know that we're genuine, we're real. We're not the go sit in the church pew kind. We're the ones who are actually living the life of Christ. And they see it every single day at work and every single day at home and every single day, whatever you're doing in the marketplace. There's power there, brethren. There's power there. People become Christians because they see the reality of the Christian life in his people. Even when very difficult times come. We've talked about it before and I don't have it in my sermon today, but the last few hours of Jesus's life, absolutely selfless, absolutely loving. It brought a centurion Roman officer to confess Jesus as the son of God, which was a death penalty for him. And yet he was willing to confess Jesus. Surely he was the son of God because of what he saw. Jesus didn't preach a sermon. He lived the life. We can do the same. Now look at my second point. Trust, the trust and assurance that Jesus Christ had in that second point. The total trust, the total assurance that Jesus Christ had. See, Christ had complete confidence in himself and in his Father's provision for him. He is absolutely confident. Well, think about it for just a minute. I want to give you just a, a, a two life examples of the kind of confidence that Jesus had. Remember back in the Old Testament, Abraham was told by God that you need to, to kill your one and only son, sacrifice your, your one and only son, your son of promise, Isaac, that, that miracle baby. We don't know how old Isaac was, but he's surely a lot younger than, than his dad, Abraham. He's 100 plus years old. We know that he was old enough to carry, carry the wood and help his dad out. So as they're walking down the road, 
What does Isaac do? Hey, Dad, I, I've noticed something here. Now, we got the, we got the fire, and you got the knife. I noticed you were sharpening it pretty good. And uh, you, we got the wood. Hey, but we're missing something, Dad. Did we forget one of the lambs back home? He goes, don't worry, son. God will provide. God will provide the lamb. Right? And so guess what? Isaac, no problem, Dad. We're good. He gets there. A hundred plus years old and you're going to be wrestling with some, you know, teen or 20-something. I didn't think it's going to happen. Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound and laid on the altar. It's the only way it could have been done. And his son, his dad took the knife and was ready to be obedient to God, but God said, whoa, 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 wait. And in the thicket, he provided what? The sacrifice. Isaac trusted his dad implicitly. I remember when I was a little kid, like three or four years old, vision in my mind. We would go over to Flo and Wall's house. They had a swimming pool. My dad would get in the deep end and he'd, he'd say, jump. I'm going, I'm not going to jump in there. I don't know. So jump, jump. I'll catch you. And he'd catch me every time. Okay. And then he'd catch me and let me go under the water and come up. Don't worry. I got you, son. Thanks, Dad. Well, Dad wasn't around one time when I was seeing if I could do it myself. That was dumb. I almost drowned it. I fear water to this day, as many of you know. And it's not just because Jaws is under the water, but I fear they'll drown. And so, but my dad was there and I trusted my dad and I would always jump off and my dad would catch me and he never went, oh, sorry, he never did that. Jesus Christ knew that his father had called him to go to the cross and that he had agreed to that before the foundation of the world. He studied it, he understood it, and he was willing to lay his life down in the way that it was to be laid down. Look at uh, the concept of assurance and trust. Complete and total trust and confidence resulting in courageous resolve. That's what we talked about before. Total, total trust. Complete confidence resulting in courageous resolve to do whatever you've been asked or called to do. Well, brethren, notice John chapter 2, going back there, verse 13 through 17. Man, I'm telling you what, Jesus was one gutsy guy. I'm telling you what. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is the, the, the lead-in to where he says, well, I'm going to be raised up on the third day. Notice what it says there. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated in their seats. And he who took a scourge, of course, and he, and he drove them out of the temple uh, with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a den of business or a den of thieves. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now I want to stop and have you think just a minute what he just did. What did Jesus just do? He just went into the epicenter of the Jewish religion. In the temple, hundreds, thousands of people there. Hey, this is my dad's house. You're de de defacing, defaming, you're defiling my dad's house. And he threw over all the money changers' tables. He took a whip or a scourge, whipping those guys out and the little, little animals. This was like the spectacle of the century, man. And he did that in front of all the leaders. Well, he knew that was a death penalty action. He knew it. He still did it. And he made a statement. This is my father's house. You don't make my father's house a pig pen. Den of thieves. It's my father's house. It's a house of prayer. He was hot. You can recognize and understand if that's the epicenter of the Jewish faith, he just signed his 
death warrant. And he knew it. But he was still willing to do it because it was a part of the plan. Brethren, are we going to do that which may end up causing us great harm when we stand up for the truth? Or are we just going to buckle and hide in our houses? Jesus didn't hide. He fulfilled his purpose because of who he was. He was absolutely sure, he had absolute confidence in his father that his father would take care of him. Look at the Gospel of John in chapter 18. Gospel of John chapter 18. Now this is another really, like, put yourself in Jesus' place here. Gospel of John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. See, Jesus has already been taken into custody. And we read here, beginning in verse 33, Therefore Pilate entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell me about you or tell, tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, I'll stop here for just a minute. Pilate is the governor. He has the authority at will to take a person's life. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus knows that by his hand he will be killed. But he went straight up nose to nose with him and says, I am a king and I came into the world to preach the truth. My kingdom's not of this world, chief. It's not of this world. They're not fighting and they're not going to fight. They're not going to fight with swords. Oh yeah, but they're going to preach the gospel and pierce the darkness with the gospel message. But you see, he was willing to stand in the face of death. I want you to jump over to chapter 19. Take a look at chapter 19 and take a look there at verse 8 through 11. Notice what is said here. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, what's the statement? The crowd was saying, he makes himself out to be the son of God. That really freaked Pilate out. Notice in verse 8, therefore when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. In other words, he was afraid before because Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm a king. It's not of this world. That freaked him out a little bit. Now he's really freaked out. This guy is the son of God. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, now listen to what he said. You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you or I have the authority to crucify you? And I don't think he said it nicely. I don't think Pilate said it nicely. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews carried, cried out, saying, and basically shut him down. Notice, would you be able to stand like that? And we're not going to have the same exact circumstance. But that's, that is intense. He said, well, look, the way it is is that you really have no authority. And what authority you do, it's been given to you. So Pilate actually fulfilled the will of God but he never repented of the sin that we're aware of. Brother, it's, it's so important for us to be ready. I mean, if we have a bad hair day, let's just, I'm not being persecuted because my day's not going the way I planned. God's just angry with me. What? What? So put yourself what's happening right here. That's the power of faith. He knew what was coming. Do we fully believe that when we die that we're going to be met by angels on the other side and escorted to paradise? I'm absolutely convinced. 
So no matter how God has it designed for me to go or for you to go, he's already seen it. He already knows it. Just embrace the fact that you're going to die someday. Don't know how, but live your life on purpose for Jesus Christ and be faithful no matter what. And then when that time comes, you can rejoice. You get to go home. Look at the last passage or the last section here. The, the, the reliance and obedience on Christ. Christ's perfect reliance is perfect obedience. It's amazingly perfect. Christ's perfect obedience secured our, uh, our hope of salvation. But think about it for just a minute. What does the word obey mean? If you're driving down the road, going about 80 miles an hour, that's not obedience. That's disobedience, isn't it? It is. Okay? The, the thing says 55, go 55. If it's 35, go 35. If it's 45 up here, man, I'm telling you what, you're not very smart if you go faster than 45 through Pleasant Hill. How many of you have ever had somebody pull right out in front of them and you're going in your car? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm telling you, going 45 is smart. And that's still kind of fast when some of those folks coming out of Dairy Mart with their big Slurpee or whatever it is, not looking where you are. So just saying. The word reliance, obedience, means submission, yielding oneself to. Submission and compliance to God's will. Yielding yourself to God's will. What's God's will? Read your Bible. Look at Luke chapter 22. And, and we've heard this one before. But again, look at the intensity of this situation. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and following. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, uh, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me, meaning take away the, the suffering of crucifixion from me, yet not my will but thine be done. Notice, he yielded himself to the Father's will. Well, he knew what was coming. And he said, if, if you've made different plans, I, I'm good with those too, but if this is the only plan, then I'm going to do it. Now, how serious was that? Read on. Now, an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his, his sweat uh, became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. Uh, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples who found themselves sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And go back and study all the gospels. They were in sorrow because Jesus had told them, this is exactly what's coming, and it's coming like right now. And he told them that at the dinner table. That's found in the Gospel of John in chapter 13 through 17. They knew what was coming. They fully understood it now, and it was only just moments away. So they go up to the hill to pray, and there it happens. He's taken into custody. We need to recognize and understand that Jesus Christ knew who he was, and he knew what his purpose was, and there was absolutely nothing that could keep him from fulfilling his purpose. You think the devil wants to interfere with your serving the Lord Jesus Christ unto the last death, or last breath, unto death? Well, of course he does. And he's going to use every tool available to him to stop you from being who you're called to be as a Christian. My prayer is, is that we would be faithful and obedient to him. John chapter 19. We'll close with this, this passage of scripture. John chapter 19 and verse 28 29 and 30. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you. You know, when you look at, when you read it at face value, it seems like it's not a big deal at all. I mean, it, it, if we just read it, it's like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. No, he said he was thirsty. Mm, no. But there's a lot to this. Take a look. Gospel of John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. The work had been done. He's about ready to give up his spirit. But notice what it says there. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, said, I'm thirsty. A jar 
full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, if you don't really understand what's going on there, Jesus is actually so concerned about perfect obedience, he remembered the passage of scripture in Psalms chapter 69. He goes, oh, there's one more thing I need to do to fulfill all the prophecies about me, the Christ, the Son of God. I'm thirsty. And then Psalms in chapter 62 or 69 and verse 21 was fulfilled. He had fulfilled every scripture about himself. He obeyed the scripture. He did what the Old Testament scripture said. Now, brethren, what about you and I? There's a passage of scripture I learned many years ago when I was in the Baptist faith. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. I believe it to this day. I don't necessarily believe it the way it was taught to me, but I believe it the way God intended it to be. But they always forgot verse 10. I want you to turn to the book of uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. Verse 8 and 9 are absolutely amazing. In fact, all of chapter 2 is amazing, but... But 8 and 9 are amazing scriptures. Notice what it says there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Amen. By the grace of God. It's not by my works, but by God's grace that I have hope of salvation. It says here, for by grace you have been saved through faith. In other words, we need to have the faith of Christ, faith in Christ, the faith of Christ, in order to receive that grace. And that not of yourselves, the grace is not of yourselves, the gift is not of yourselves, but rather it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works. Your gift of salvation isn't granted to you because you worked and become good enough. All sin and fallen short of the glory of God. You're not good enough outside of Christ. You need Christ. You need his grace. So it says here, not as a result of works so that no one should boast. Now verse 10, look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We're his new creation. His beautiful and amazing and divine and powerful creation. We are his workmanship. By the way, that word there means he's got proprietary rights. He owns us. Go back and look it up. Workmanship. Created in Christ for a reason. Created in Christ Jesus. What does it say there? For good works. The works of God. But notice the last statement. Look what it says. It says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Notice it's it's walking in the new creation standard of life. Faith working through love. Faith working through love. If any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. You want to live like Christ? Faith working through love. Everything that Jesus did is an example of love. You go back and look. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Faith working through love. Brethren, how important it is that we have works of love that were manifest in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he stood his ground and he lived his life and he powered to the cross, through the cross, out of the grave and into heaven. And that is for us as well. The faith of Christ, his convictions. The faith of Christ, his absolute total trust. And the faith of Christ, his perfect obedience. That's what we're called to. As our brother Blake said, holding up that book, Atomic Habits. You know, every thought were to take captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Every little thought. We need to be practicing taking every thought captive. Can you say a good word without uh, an evil motive behind it? How many can say a good word without an evil motive behind it? Well, of course we all can. Can you do it twice? Well, yeah. If you can do it once, you can do it twice, right? If you can do it twice, can you do it five times? 
What if you put those all together? Well, there you go. Right heart, right word, right action. It's possible, but it's atomic. It's small, little, small choices. That's how it's done. Jesus, every day, made those little choices. You want to know why? It's because he loved me. He loved Grace. He loved Julie. He loved Ben. He loved Heidi. He loved us all. And every moment he lived for us, we can do the same by faith. And we can persevere by faith. So after family camp, we're going to work on the next pillar of the foundation for perseverance, and that's hope. And man, those lessons are really awesome too. I can't wait to share them. And so we're going to build the second cornerstone or, or pillar for perseverance, and that's hope. What does the scripture teach? That's what we're going to jump into. Well, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful uh, for the opportunity to, to serve and uh, I love reading your word and, and I just pray that we would invest ourselves in reading and thinking and applying your word so that we could walk by faith and not by sight, Father, so that we could be perseverant in all things. I ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Let's stand together. What did Jesus say to do? He said to go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings, king of kings. Woo! All right, let's go do it. It's great. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.